Are you a new creation? Oh, I hope you are. Well, I can't help but see the connection between Christmas and New Year's. And New Year's, we talk about what we want to be the next year and the improvements we want to make. But a baby changes everything, doesn't it? If we don't rely on the power that we see at Christmas, the power of Jesus Christ, then we really can't make the changes that we need to make. It's that time of year. This is uh, January 1st. New Year's is coming. How many of you, just out of curiosity, make New Year's resolutions? Four? No. <laughs> I raise your hands a little higher so I can see them. How many of you make New Year's resolutions, typically? All right, so somewhere around, uh, around a little less than half of you. Uh, well, it's, it is definitely that time of year. I remember uh, when I was on uh, our first furlough, we came back from Costa Rica. We came to uh, southeast Michigan is actually where we were at. And, uh, and so I got a six-month membership to the YMCA. And so I got up really early so that I could go to the gym. And it was, it was really an awesome gym. They had two lines of, of things so I could alternate from one day to the next to get different exercises. And there were about nine machines in each line. And you could punch in your number. It would keep track of how much you lifted. And they would send you encouraging emails saying you lifted the equivalent of four elephants this month or whatever it might be. And it was actually pretty cool. And, and so I would, would go down one line one day and it would take about an hour. And then the next morning I'd get up and I'd go down the other row. And, and that would take about an hour. And, and it was great. And I was getting into the, into the flow. And, and, uh, and then January 1st came around. And I remember there was a one guy who was a regular, and I walk in, and, and I saw him, and, uh, and he was from Costa Rica, so we hit it off really well, and so we'd talk in Spanish a little bit. But I, I remember then uh, coming in after the, the, first, uh, the first time after January 1st, and all of a sudden, it didn't take an hour to get through those lines. It took at least an hour and a half, close to two hours, and I didn't even get to finish them all. Why is that? It's New Year's, Right? And he was a regular. He had been there. He, he, uh, he had been there for years. He, he even worked there. And so uh, he said to me, don't worry about the lines. He said, for the first week, it's going to be really crowded. But by the end of the second week, everything will be back to normal. <laughs> That's what he told me. Everything will be back to normal. The, the odd thing was, he was right. He was right. Um, the top 10 New Year's resolutions, according to Statistic Brain, uh, is a website. The top 10 New Year's resolutions for the year 2014, here's what they are. Number one, lose weight, right? Probably everyone who's raised their hand has at least put that on there some, some time in their, in their life has put that on there. Number two, to get organized, right? Get organized. This year, I'm going to get organized. Anyone ever say that one before? One person, so... Uh, Three, how about spend less, save more? This, this year I'm going to get on top of my finances instead of swimming under them, right? Many people have said that, I'm sure. Number four was just to enjoy life more. You can't get much more vague than that. Here's my strategic plan for the year. I'm going to enjoy life, right? for, uh, Number five was to get fit, be healthier. Uh, number, number six, to learn something new like a language or a musical instrument something like that. Say, so this year I am going to learn how to do this. Number seven was to quit smoking or some other type of vice, whether it's smoking or drinking or whatever it might be. Number eight, to donate time to help others, to volunteer for something. Say, so this year I'm going to volunteer for the soup kitchen or this year I'm going to do this sometime. And uh, number nine was to fall in love. 
how you can plan for that, I don't know. But this, is, this, was, this was on there. Uh, number 10, spend more time with family. And I don't know if, uh, if you've had them, these in the same order of importance, but these are the top 10 in America over the last year, 2014. So would you assume that now our culture is a lighter, more organized, uh, more uh, financially frugal culture that enjoys life more, a fit culture where they're learning, now we're a bilingual culture, right? No, in fact, they say gringos can't learn two languages. That's what (laughs) I've heard before. Uh, You know, do we smoke less as a culture? Do we donate more time? Do we, are we, have we fallen in love? Do we spend more time with our family? But really, what overall, has our culture changed in those things? In spite of the fact that these are the things that last year, at this time, everyone said, this is what I want to accomplish over the next year. This is what I want to accomplish. I find a couple of interesting statistics that came from the same website. First a statistic is, these, this is the percentage of Americans who usually make resolutions. What, what percentage would you guess? 50%? Pretty close. It's actually 45%. About the same as what we had right in here in, in, our, in our own congregation. About 45% of people say, you know what, I'm going to, maybe a little bit more than that, say they're going to, but when it comes around to it, around 45%, somewhere around half. Here's another interesting statistic. This is the percentage of Americans who never make resolutions. These are the people who say, for one reason or another, I'm not even going to think about resolutions. New Year's comes, I'm going to enjoy the party and just live, continue to live life as normal. What percentage would you guess there? It was very close, very good. Very, 38%, 38%. So that leaves only 62% that say, uh, we're open, open to resolutions and about 45% actually do. Here's the statistic that caught my attention the most. What's the percentage of Americans who are successful in their resolutions? <laughs> Ouch, right? These are the people who, a year later, they look back and say, yeah, I did that. You know, I had success in my resolution. What percentage would you guess? Wow, you guys are really skeptical. I heard 2% from like three different people. Wow, okay, well, it's pretty low. It was 8%. 8% would look back and say, yeah, this was a successful year when it comes to their New Year's resolutions. I wanted you to say a graph of that just so you get an idea. Right? <laughs> this is how much change is going on in our country. Keep in mind that this is only out of the 45% who made resolutions. Right? So you could really cut that into less than half, and that's how much we're, people are willing to change in a year. Uh, it makes sense, too. Uh, Time Magazine recently wrote the, uh, the top 10 list of New Year's resolutions that you, could, you should not make because you'll break them anyway. Right? They said these are the top 10 broken, uh, broken ones. Now, the list that you see up there, that's the list that we already had on there on the top 10 resolutions, but I want you to compare it to the list. The number one, losing weight. So don't even make that resolution. Why? Because you won't keep it. These are the top 10, most likely not to keep. Losing weight. Number two, quit smoking or drinking. Number three, learn something new like a language or an instrument. Uh, the fourth one, get fit, be healthier. The fifth one, sp- spending less, saving more. It's not until you get to the, or the sixth one is spending more time with family. It's not until you get to the, whatever that is, the seventh one, where they finally get one that's not on the list, and that was to travel to a new place. 
traveled someplace new. And the next one was enjoy life. After that, uh, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, get organized. So all of them except for fall in love. In other words, the top ten things that people want, out of those, nine of those are things that you shouldn't do anyway because you're going to fail. Right? If you're looking to fall in, in love this year, you're in luck. Right? That's the only one on the list. So, no. But you, you get the idea that typically it's what we want is what we fail at. Isn't that what, what even Paul explained in, in Romans 7? That what I want to do, what, that which I wish to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I, that, that's what I do. And you find that, uh, that problem going on. So I want to talk today a little bit about, uh, about resolutions. I want to ask, answer three questions today. First, what is a resolution? Secondly, is it biblical? Are resolutions biblical? And then thirdly, how do I keep my resolutions if they are biblical? So let's start uh, with what is, uh, what is a resolution? The dictionary defines a resolution as a firm t- decision to do or not to do something. Can't get much more basic than that, right? But let's think about the, the definition for a moment. It's not just a decision. It's what kind of a decision? It's a firm decision. If it's not a firm decision, then it's not a resolution. It's a firm decision where you're saying, okay, I'm making a decision and I'm not going to change on this. All right, so it's, that's what a resolution is supposed to be. And it's a firm decision to do something or not to do something. In other words, you're deciding ahead of time what your actions are going to be given a certain circumstance. You're saying, at this time, this is how I'm going to behave. That's what a resolution actually is. It has everything to do with the timing of our decisions. Think about that for a moment. As we head in through life, we are always working towards some type of uh, temptation. Temptations come our way. But I want us to think about the different temptations that come our way and when we make the decision to avoid them or to give in to them. If you wait until the moment that you're in the decision, so if you're making the decisions here, what do we call that? We can call that a reactive decision. What that means is we react when we're in the in the midst of the temptation. In other words, we get to the place, there's a temptation, and we think, hmm, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? Is that wise, by the way? Okay, we'll talk about that. That's a reactive decision. Now, what if you made the decision before entering the temptation? You thought, down, you thought about it ahead of time, and you said, you know what, I know this is a temptation that will someday happen in my life, and when I get there, this is how I'm going to behave. Is that a different thing? It's a different thing altogether. That we can call a proactive decision as opposed to reactive decision. If we wait till we're in the temptation, we react. If we wait, or if we don't wait, but we plan ahead of time, that is a proactive decision. This is the definition of the word resolution. It is to make a firm decision ahead of time about whether or not you're going to do something or not do something. It is a, it is coming up with your decision before the temptation. The timing of resolution is very important. Does that make sense? And so it's very important for us to understand. Now the big question, is it biblical? Is it biblical? I'd like to look at a couple of Proverbs uh, to see what the the Proverbs have to say about the wisdom of resolutions. So let me start with Proverbs 21, verse 5. 21, verse 5. We read, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Now, when you think of a word like plan, the plans of the diligent, is that a proactive word or a reactive word? That's a proactive word. Reactive, if you're reacting, there's no plan, right? And uh, 
But if you're planning, then you're being proactive. And what does the Bible seem to have to say about being proactive here? Well, if you make plans and you're diligent and you follow up on those plans, where does that lead? To plenty. Now, in this context, it's talking about economics, right? It's, it's saying that if you make plans, you'll, you'll have plenty. But the principle holds true in so many different areas of life, does it not? That if you make plans, then you'll end up with a greater result. I think we should even look at parenting, for example. We, we, we uh, just had a baby dedication. Parenting should be proactive and not just reactive, right? If you just wait until your child messes up and you react, uh, how, how well are we going to react all of the time? But a proactive parent would be one who will say, what are my goals for my child? How am I going to build things into his or her life to help them become what they need to become? That's proactive parenting. That's planning. The plans of the diligent will surely lead to plenty. But, what's the flip side? But those of everyone who is hasty, surely, to poverty. Whereas if you're just making hasty decisions, hasty, by the way, that's a reactive word. It's uh, when there's, you're, not making, you're not making the time to make your decisions, but you're just being hasty, and you make hasty decisions. What does that do? That leads to poverty. When we make decisions in the last moment, we wait till we're in the temptation, we don't usually make good choices. Isn't that true? Isn't that what the, what the Bible is saying in Proverbs 21.5? Here's another verse I'd look at, like us to look at. Uh, Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Now, when you think of the word consider, is consider a proactive word or a reactive word? It's a very proactive word. You're saying, before I take these steps, I'm going to think about them. It's not a reactive word. You're not saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't have stepped in that. That happens to me sometimes. Especially in Costa Rica, because the dogs run loose, right? All right, you don't have to go there. Put a bad image in your minds, I apologize. Considering your steps is when you're looking forward and saying, this is the direction I want to, this is where I want to go. What's the best route to get there? That's considering your steps. And the Bible is saying the simple believes every word, so they just, they just go through life, right? And who knows what they're going to fall into. But Proverbs says the prudent person, the wise person, the discerning person, is going to consider well his steps, plan ahead, and think this is where I'm going to go. Right? In other words, I'm going to make resolutions. I'm not going to go there. I am not going to go there. I am going to walk here. I'm making a decision, a firm decision, about what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. It's the very definition of a resolution. One more verse I'll share. Proverbs 22, verse 5. We read, Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. We read this verse a few weeks ago. But the point of this verse was you say, I know where I need to go, and I see temptations that are in my way, and I'm going to guard my soul. I'm going to stay away from them. So if I see a pitfall, I stay way away from that. I walk, oh, I see another pitfall, I stay way away from that, because I'm going to a certain destination, and I don't let those things trap me. I don't let them ensnare me. That's what the Bible's saying. What does that mean? Resolutions. We, as Christians, should be expert resolution makers. Amen? We should be. I didn't hear any amens there. Amen? Yeah. There's the, the 55% that never makes resolutions saying, Amen. 
let's think about it, though. There, there, there are several advantages. I'm only going to name two, but there are several advantages to making resolutions. The first one is your decisions are not hasty. You have the time to actually think through your decisions. Do we usually make good decisions when we're hasty? Like maybe in the morning, let's say uh, you realize your alarm didn't get up and you wake up and you don't have as much time as you normally have. Do you make good decisions? In fact, this is what I look like when that happens. I, look, I can look down at my feet and this is what I see. <laughs> Anyone else do that? <laughs> Colored sock and white sock, and not matching, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's just human nature. We don't tend to make good decisions when we make hasty decisions. This is a season where a lot of people go on vacation. Oftentimes when you go on vacations, you find people will come up to you and say, hey, if you will listen to a 90-minute presentation, which lasts more than 90 minutes, but if you listen to a 90-minute presentation, we'll give you these free gifts. Anyone ever sit in on one of those 90-minute like timeshare presentations? Wow, we have a lot of timeshare presentations, people who have... Uh, been here. And you sit down for this 90-minute presentation where they tell you all the benefits of these timeshares and this or that. By the way, I'm not knocking timeshares. Whether you have one or not, I'm not saying, saying it's, that you should or shouldn't have them. But the technique that they use is the same because we've sat through a lot of them um, because you get a lot of free stuff when you do that. And <laughs> we like discounted tickets to things or whatever. Sometimes they'll give you cash. And so we've sat in a lot of them. And so we always go in now as a game plan, right? We already know we have a resolution. We have already decided a firm decision of what we are going to do, and in this case, what we're not going to do, right? Because what they always do at the end is they say, right now, you can get all these things that we've promised you at this low price. But if you walk out the door, and if you actually have time to think about it, and you come back later on today, what do they say about the price? Nope, sorry. You can't have that price. Why are they doing that? They want you to make a hasty decision. Why? Because they know that hasty decisions are not wise decisions. And so they want you to make a hasty decision. And so we can tell them, say, you know what? If I don't have time to think about it, then I already have an answer. And that answer is no. Why? Because we have a resolution. We have a resolution. We decide ahead of time what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. Because decisions don't have to be hasty. Second advantage, uh, you don't have the immediate draw of the temptation itself. When you're in the middle of a temptation, that temptation is so much stronger than it is when you're thinking about the temptation in advance. Isn't that true? Um, if you're, if you're right in the middle of the temptation, you look at the temptation and it just seems more attractive than whatever the good option is. Isn't that true? And so if you wait, for example, if you're uh, maybe a single, uh, young single person, if you wait until you're in the back seat of a car in a lonely place and then the, then the other person starts making physical advances, if you wait till that moment to make your decision what you're going to do, not going to do, there's a greater likelihood that you'll fail. Isn't that true? But if you make the decision ahead of time, I am not going to go there. I'm going to plan my route, and I'm not going to even let that be in my route. And you plan ahead, you make decisions ahead of time, you are less likely to fall into those pitfalls that Satan puts out there for us. Why? Because you don't have the immediate draw of the temptation in the moment. 
wise. Make those decisions before those situations come, come up. Make those decisions before. Here's a biblical example. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, if you want to turn there, uh, we'll spend a few moments here. Daniel chapter 1, I'll read just the first, I'll start with the first seven verses. <clears throat> and we see this, and I want you to, to, with what we've talked about with resolutions, I want you to see if we can find a resolution in here. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank in three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those, the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. To, to, uh, he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And then we come to verse 8, where it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine that he drank, Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What was Daniel doing? He was making a resolution. In fact, one of, uh, one of the other translations, uh, that's a, it's a good translation, is the ESV. And this is how it's worded. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Uh, why does it use that word? Because the word itself purpose in, in your heart or resolve? What is the noun form of the word resolve? That's a verb. What's the noun form of that? Resolution. He made a resolution and he said, I will not participate in what God has told me not to participate in. He made that decision. How firm was that? Because we're going to call this a resolution and a resolution is a firm decision. How firm was Daniel's resolution? Think about it. They were able to change his home. By that, I mean, they changed his country. They dragged him out of Judah and into Babylon. They changed his language. Now he had to speak the language of the Chaldeans. They changed his education. He had to learn their literature. But there was one thing that didn't change, something that he took, he brought with him all the way from Judah. What was that? His convictions. They could not change his resolution. And he stood up to it. We see this time and time again in Daniel's life. Do you remember when Daniel was told he needed to bow to an idol? What did Daniel do? He refused. When, when Daniel was told, uh, uh, was told that uh, if he did not obey the king, he would be thrown into a den of lions, what did Daniel do? Bring on the lions. Right? Why? 
because he made a firm decision ahead of time. This is how I'm going to act. No matter what the temptation is in the moment, no matter what was going on in his life, and I'm sure there were temptations, just the food itself probably looked good. But I'm sure there was a temptation to say, hey, you know what, this way I don't have to, to try and argue my way out of this. I don't have to make a deal with the, the, the head of the eunuchs here. I don't have to try and go against the flow. And There are all sorts of reasons for him to give in to that temptation. But instead he said, no, I have resolve in my heart. I have purpose in my heart. I am not going to defile myself. That's Daniel. You see it. And did God bless him for it? He sure did. He sure did. Even when he was thrown into the lion's den, what do we find? An angel comes, shuts the mouths of the lions. Hungry lions, by the way. God was, God was in control. There's another example in Job 31, verse 1. Job is being confronted by his friends because his friends have bad theology. His friends have this idea that if bad things are happening to you, it's because you deserve it, period. That was their understanding of God's administration of justice. They were wrong, of course. But they're confronting him saying, Job, you must have been involved in sin. And one of uh, his friends even says, we, I believe that you're messing around, that you're not being faithful to your wife. You have to be. So Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. I've made a covenant with my eyes. What does that mean? I've decided ahead of time that when a, there's an opportunity to see a woman, maybe improperly dressed or whatever reason, I'm not going to look lustfully at her, period. So that's resolution, is it not? That brings us to the question, is this biblical to make resolutions? Yes, it is. It is biblical. Last question. I'll spend a little bit of time here. How do I keep my resolutions? How do I keep my resolutions? Well, in, the, in one of the programs that we'll be offering here at some point... Um, in fact, one of the connection groups already went through this. We talked a little bit about the behavior cycle, and I wish I had time to walk through all the scriptures that form this cycle, but, it, but it's there. But I just want us to look at how, first, how our character controls our thoughts. And we'll talk about how our thoughts determine our actions. Our actions over time turn into habits, and then our habits develop our character. Isn't that true? Seems simple, but isn't it true? When we start with character, our character controls our thoughts. For example, if you take a man of poor character and a man of good character, put them in the same situation with the same temptation, they're going to think differently about it, right? For example, if there's a uh, woman who is, is maybe an immoral woman and she's trying to get the attention of somebody and, and uh, maybe through the way she's dressing or maybe the way she's flirting or whatever it might be, a man of poor character, how might he think about that? He might say, oh, wow, hey, an opportunity, right? I want to see if I can get her phone number, right? Whatever it might be. A man of good character, same situation, what's he going to do? Say, ah, that's a trap. And he's going to put his focus where it needs to be, right? Turn away, go the other direction. Why? Because character controls our thoughts. And then our thoughts, and this is in Scripture multiple times, our thoughts will determine our actions. Bible attributes um, many times, when we sin, it's because we think this. We believe lies, we fall into sin. Uh, whatever it might be. So we, we, we have these wrong thoughts. They turn into actions. And then those actions, if we don't correct them, turn into habits over time. And when they become habits, that changes our character. And our character gets worse. And then guess what? Our thoughts become worse. Our actions become worse. Our habits become worse. And I remember reading uh, uh, the, the testimony of... of uh, 
uh, was it Ted Bundy? Remember? Uh, he was a serial killer. He ended up getting saved in the last days of his life. But it started with poor character leading to some wrong thoughts about the opposite sex. And it started with uh, Victoria's Secrets magazines, looking at those. But you go through this cycle, and it gets worse and worse, worse. The next thing you know, he's killing people, multiple people. How do you get there? This is the cycle of sin. On the, on the flip side, it can be a positive cycle, too. If you have good character, then that produces good thoughts. And then with your good thoughts, you can have good actions, and you do the right thing. You do the right thing over and over again, say, studying your Bible, it becomes a habit. You have good habits, what does that do to your character? It builds up your character, and that cycle can work for you, or it can work against you, right? And we see this all through Scripture. But the big question is, how do we break that cycle? And we're doing things we know we ought not do. How do we break that cycle? And how do we make resolutions to help us break that cycle? Well, I'm going to use an illustration uh, using a hose. Assume we had a hose. Pretend we had a hose up here. Water's coming out. Of course, we wouldn't want water coming out of here, right? It'd be a bad idea. So if you don't want water coming out of the hose, the, big, the two questions. First of all, where is the problem? Well, the problem is right here, right at the end, end of the hose. But where is the solution to the problem? Well, some people think it's right there at the end of the hose. You can stick your thumb down in there, and if you're strong enough, you might actually get it to stop <laughs> spreading water out. Most likely, you're going to spray everyone around you, right? Because where's the solution really? The solution goes all the way back to the spigot. It's actually a simple solution if we understand it correctly, but it's a simple thing. But so many times when we try and we break into this cycle at the wrong area, it's kind of like trying to stick our thumb down there. And maybe we can actually get the water to stop coming out for a little while. And if you're strong, you might be able to stop the water. But for how long? Well, eventually, you'll run out of strength. And it comes back out again. Have you ever had a sin in your life where you said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just stop this sin. And, I, and, I, and so you're really starting with actions on the behavior cycle. Say, Lord, I'm going to stop this sin. So you try to stop it. And maybe you succeed for a little while, but then it keeps coming back. Anyone honest enough to say that that's happened to them? Yeah, it's happened to me before, too. Absolutely. We call, I call those stubborn sins. Because they just keep, keep coming back. And maybe it's because we're looking at the wrong point. We're trying to stop it at the, uh, where the water's coming out instead of going all the way back and shutting it off at the source. Well, what's the source? Let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't, don't go with the flow. Don't conform to the world's image. Don't let them tell you what you need to be or how you need to be, but be transformed. That's what we're talking about. Resolutions to transform us. How? Very simply, by, what does it say? The renewing of your mind. Now, when you think of it, character, thoughts, actions, habits. Which one of those has to do with the mind? thoughts. We renew our mind with scripture so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
We have to change the way we think. We renew our minds. I wanted to end with uh, some very practical steps. Some very practical steps. How do we overcome some of these stubborn sins? Number one, determine the sin that you need to overcome. Don't just start with what the world is doing because they're going to conform you to their image. They're going to tell you, oh, if you just spend a little of this uh, less here and, and a little of this or, or do- donate a little more time, you'll be happier or, or if you, you could look a little better when you look in the mirror. Those are all things that the world's going to do to try and conform you to their image. Don't deal with those. Deal with sin issues, right? Because that's what we're here for, to be transformed. So don't, don't worry about uh, all those things that we saw on the top 10, ten list unless it's a sin that's causing it. Then you can deal with it. But number one, determine the sin that, that you need to overcome. Here's a little picture. I don't know how well you can see it, but it's a little boy lifting up like 400 pounds of weight. <laughs> All right. I would say uh, start small and work yourself up. What I mean by that is simply uh, uh, don't just say, you know what, this year I'm going to become perfect. <laughs> it's just not going to work. It's like uh, lifting weights. When you go back and you haven't lifted weights for a long time and you go back to lifting weights, you don't start where you left off years ago. You start with what you can do, right? But if you do faithfully what you can do, then what happens? You, you can increase what you're able to do. And it's the same way with our spiritual disciplines. I'd say also uh, using what we've been learning from Joshua, uh, let the Spirit guide you via conviction and uh, let your mentors or people in your life uh, uh, guide you via c- confrontation. In other words, if you're trying to figure out what, what sin should I work on, start with the Holy Spirit. If He's telling you to work on something, start there. Does that sound good? If the Holy Spirit isn't convicting you about anything, what do we learn in Joshua? The next step, confrontation. Right? So when so, if someone's confronting you, or maybe the thing that your wife's been nagging you about, what it could be the thing, right? whatever it might be, start there. Then. But find the things that, that you say, this is a sin that I need to overcome. I'm going to overcome this sin this year. Step two, determine what lies you believe when you're committing the sin. Determine what lies you believe when you're committing the sin. Why? Because we're going to renew the mind. Determine those lies. Here's an example. I'm going to use the example of pornography. By the way, I'm not just... Some, some might ask, why do, I, why do I harp on this one sin a lot? It's because I know so many people struggle with this and, and, and help people work through this. But you know what? There's freedom from this too. I, I'm sure we could have people give testimonies. I'm not going to ask them to come up and do that. But we could have people give testimonies of how they came out of a life of addiction to pornography. But I'm going to use an example. What are some lies that we believe or that people believe when they're committing the sin. Maybe if I look but don't touch, no one gets hurt. Is that a lie? It's a lie. It's a lie. Here's another one. Um, I'll just look, nothing more, it'll stop there. Is that a lie? It's a lie. How about uh, this one? God has not provided all that I need to be satisfied. Isn't that another lie? Yeah. Is God going to give you everything you need to be satisfied? And if you think you have to have satisfaction in anything that God hasn't given you, is that a lie? It is. It's a lie. So you take those. All right, step three. Step three is find scriptures that contradict the lies and write them down on on three-by-five cards. So I'm I'm telling you to be very practical here. Get some three-by-five cards. Get a little ring even if you have to. Punch a hole in the corner so you can have these three-by-five cards. But then find scriptures that contradict the lies and write them down. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. With the lie that if I look but don't touch, no one gets hurt. Well, then you could write down, uh, 
uh, Matthew 5.28 that says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? It's a good verse. Or how about the lie, I'll just look, nothing, will, nothing more, it will stop there. Like I could just stop with lust and not let it turn into sin and death and so on. But then you could write down maybe something like James 1.15 that says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What is James 1 saying? Saying there's a path of sin and it doesn't stop with lust. Right? It doesn't stop there. Lust, if you feed it, becomes action. Action, if you feed it, becomes habits. Habits, when you continue them, will form your character. That's what James 1 is saying. So you read that verse. Read that verse. Or, God has not provided all that I need to be satisfied. Find a verse like in Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How many needs? All my needs. All of them. God will, according to his riches. I don't have to go to Satan for his riches. Right? And you start finding these verses that contradict the lies that you believe. And then step four, memorize and meditate on the scriptures until you believe them. What's that called? Renewing your mind. That's the key to making resolutions that will actually transform your lives. If you'll do these simple four steps, it's amazing what God can heal in your lives. I'm going to end with a true story. There was a, a woman who was involved in a, in a very bad car accident. And uh, I don't know all of the details of the car accident, but it was, she was stuck in there for a while, and it took them time to get her out. And um, not everyone that was in there with her survived. That's as much of the details as I know. It was very traumatic for her. From that point on, every time she tried to get into a, a, her car, she was unable to, to even start the car because she would have a panic attack. Right? Does that make sense? It's a panic attack. She, she didn't know what to do. And she, would just, she would panic. And so she went to a psychologist, and uh, they gave her all sorts of counseling. And uh, for a couple of years, nothing worked. She still had not driven. She went to a psychiatrist, so they added some medicines to help her uh, overcome some of the, the anxiety and so on. But still, every time she tried to start that car, nothing. She couldn't do it. Panic attack. Well, the kids were starting to get a little bit older, and as uh, any parents of, of middle school, high schoolers know, schedules get pretty hectic, right? When you've got sports and drama or church things, and so, there's so many things going on, and guess what? The dad was doing all the driving, all of the driving, and it was starting to play a role in their marriage and causing some problems even in their marriage, and so, so the woman actually went to her pastor asking for help. What she was really asking was for the pastor to fix her husband and so, so that he could help the, the, the husband understand her limitations and her problems and so on. And uh, that's what she, went, what she went to the pastor for. And he said, well, wait a minute. Let's deal with some of the things that are going on here. Oh, pastor, I've been doing this now for seven years. And uh, I'm working on it, but I, I don't think I'll ever be able to drive before my kids graduate or, you know, from, from school and so he started saying, well, what are you thinking when you have a panic attack? What are you, what's going on in your mind? Well, I'm just scared. No, no, let's dig a little deeper. What do you see? 
started realizing, she started thinking things that weren't true. Like, God isn't going to take care of me. Right? Or if God allows something in my life, it might not be for my good. But what does Romans 8 say? It's all things. Good things, bad things. All things work together for good to them that love God. Do you love God? Yes. Did God allow that to happen in your life for your good? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I realized she was believing lies. So he, gave, he ended up, he was writing down Bible verses the whole time. He gave her a stack of, a small stack of three by five cards, put them on a ring. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to your car. He uh, gave a ride to her husband to go out there. And when you have your panic attack, because you will have your panic attack, when you do, just start reading these verses. She went out to her car. She went to start her car. And guess what? She had a panic attack. <laughs> she had a panic attack. She starts looking at those verses and she starts reading them, meditating on them, thinking about praying over and over again. Uh, the pastor uh, said that uh, she had been in the, she was in the car for several hours. Several hours. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? To be reading a small stack of verses. By the time she memorized those verses, she meditated on those verses, she began to believe those verses, she started the car, she drove home, and she was driving ever since. Why? Because a few hours engaged in God's word is more powerful than anything the world has to offer. Engaged in God's word. This is God's word. That's why I don't want to preach my messages up here. I, I, don't, I want to preach this every Sunday. Because there's power in this. When we renew our mind with Scripture. Renew our mind with Scripture. What about you? What sin or sins have you been struggling with over the years? I want you to think about sins that you've been struggling with. Let's take this to a real personal level that you've been struggling with over the years. Something that maybe you've overcome for a little while, but it keeps coming back. You got something in your mind? Everybody, just kind of shake your head if you, if you do, all right? What sins have you been struggling with over the years? Second question, what lies have you been believing that has allowed you to continue in those ways? What are the lies? I know there's no, no way we'll have time to think of all of them, I want you to begin the process today. But I want you to take this homework, this assignment home as a homework assignment too. Are we willing to do, to do that? Let church be about Monday through Saturday too. Is that all right? This is yes. I'm not hearing a lot of amens. I'm hearing, like, I don't know, Pastor. <laughs> all right. But think about it. And if you have to go home and write them down, what lies are you believing when you are involved in committing whatever sin it is that you've been struggling with? And last... Will you commit to finding and memorizing scriptures that contradict these lies? Are you willing to do that? So what is going to be your New Year's resolution? I hope it's not like what we see. I hope it's not like the top ten list of what the world has. I hope it's something that will transform your life so that next year you will be able to look back and say, I am more like Christ today than I was 365 days ago. Amen? Amen? Final challenge, be the 8%. Be the 8%. That you can stand there and say, you know what, my decision is firm. I'm going to live by this. I'm going to do it.
Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Today, I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. I just want you, right from where you're sitting, I want you to, sit, to, to spend a moment with God and ask the same question that David asked many years ago. Lord, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. I want you to ask the Lord, is there anything in me that you want me to transform this year? And then I want you to just stay, say a prayer to the Lord, committing to him that, Lord, I am going to take the, the four simple practical steps. I am going to find verses that contradict the lies. I am going to, uh, to memorize them. I will meditate the, on them. And I am going to overcome this small list. Try one or two things. I'm going to overcome those things this year. Just take a moment and pray that commitment to God. Make that resolution to God. just so I know how to pray for you, would you be willing to quietly, no one's looking around, everyone's eyes are closed, if you made a commitment today, some type of resolution to the Lord, would you just raise, raise a hand so I can see that, wow, excellent, I see hands all over the auditorium, fantastic, then I cannot wait to see the transformation that's going to take place in 2015, I'd also like to say if there's anyone here all of this sounds too difficult. Maybe, maybe you don't have Christ in your life. If you don't know what we're talking, maybe all of this is foreign to you. I want to give you an invitation. If you don't know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, you have eternal life, come talk to me. Come talk to me today. Don't leave without having that assurance. If you do know that, and you made that commitment today, and that's something to, be cel- to, to celebrate. And let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the way you transform lives. I thank you, like in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I thank you for that, that you can help us make resolutions and stick to them. May we be like Daniel, Lord, firm in his faith, like Job, Lord, in spite of any negative circumstance, he kept to his commitments. May we be like that. Resolute people. And I pray this in Christ's name.